Welcome to another episode of That's Some Crazy Shit with Kelly and James. My name is Kelly and my co-host is Mr. James. Peace out, my friend. I'm in the corner studio, Boston. Peace out, sign. <laughs> the peace out sign. Right on, right on. So how's it going today? Everything good? Everything's good. I had to go clean the walks and driveway this morning, but because of our handy snow joe, it wasn't as long as it usually takes. I like that thing, man. That is an unpaid uh, promo for Snow Joe. Yeah, and if they want to give us money and more Snow Joes to, to do it, I would because it's a handy We would thing. be happy to take Snow yeah. Joe's money yeah. and have this be a paid promotion. Or additional Snow Joes. Whatever works. I like the Snow Joe myself as well. If you don't know what a Snow Joe is, it's an electric shovel that's like a mini snowblower. It is cool. It oh. makes shoveling the snow fun. It can be. I a lot more than using a damn shovel, for yeah, sure. That's true. I thought it was fun. And for somebody that has back issues, it was right up my alley. So, yeah, shout out to Snow Joe. Anytime you want to pay us to talk about you, just let us know. We'll do it. Oh, yeah. Piece yeah. No problem. Kind of problem. We'll work you right in. Right, right. Kind of problem. Between Right between Chevy Corvette and Nike. And Nike. Okay, yep. there you go. Not so even a we're problem. Just, we're throwing them out. They're Nike, Chevy Corvette, and Snow Joe. Why not? If you guys hey, are listening. Since we're talking about listening, today we have a guest. And her thing is listening because she actually is an author who collects ghost stories. True ghost stories. So check this out. This is this is her thing. She collects these true crime stories that turn into hauntings. Oh, that's kind of both our right, both our, our alleys. I can't even speak. I'm the haunting and you're the true crime. Yep. So she's written um, several books, but her latest one is called Grave Deeds, Dead Plots. Her name is Sylvia Schultz, and she's going to come on today and just tell us a bunch of true crime haunting ghost stories so break out the popcorn and the cocoa because it's story time Ooh, yep turn on the video of a fireplace yep it is definitely story time are you ready i'm ready should we just do it then yeah let's get right to it well, welcome it. to the podcast welcome to that some crazy shit author sylvia schultz Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on. That's some crazy shit. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I mean, who wouldn't want to be on a show called That's Some Crazy <laughs> Shit? That's brilliant. <laughs> it does have an, a special appeal to it. <laughs> well, yes, yes. It does flow trippingly off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It really does. And so yeah. um, we're excited to have you come on and talk about these two books that you wrote um, and they're ghost stories and they're true ghost stories. And we all, we love a good ghost story. Oh, excellent. I find that you just can't go wrong with a good ghost story. And I enjoy sharing the true ghost stories because of the history involved. I really believe that you can't understand the ghost stories of a place without knowing the history behind it. Because that's why we have the stories is because of these lived experiences. People lived through these things and it ended up as ghost stories, but it started off as history. 
Yeah. So tell us the name of the first book. Okay, so the my latest book, number eight, actually, wow. is called Grave Deeds and Dead Plots. So a while ago, my publisher uh, contacted me and wanted me to write a book of true crime. Now, when he did this several years ago, it was still the fashion for a true crime writer to write a book on one case. And I didn't think I had the chops for that at that point. But over the years, it has become more commonplace. It's become the fad now in true crime to, for an author to collect several different stories around a central theme. And I noticed that, and I pitched that idea to my publisher. I said, how about if I do a book of true crime stories that have resulted in hauntings too? And he just loved the idea, so that's how Grave Deeds and Dead Plots was born. And actually, I have enough material for like five books coming up. It's going to oh, be wow. great. Mm -hmm. So, Sylvia, how did you get started uh, with the research on these? Or did you, did you have a, a place place you went to as a resource, as a library? Uh, <laughs> or? I, I work at a library. It's brilliant. I'm surrounded by books and they pay me to be there. <laughs> it's awesome. So yeah, I read voraciously. And when I come across a story that has potential, I pay attention to it. And I basically, I'm more of a paranormal reporter than anything else. I take these stories and of course, rewrite them in my own voice. And that's how I get the material for my books. I share this material with my readers. I sometimes go out and get the material and collect it myself, have my own experiences. I, I've actually been to the Velisca Axe Murder House several times and had my own experiences there. And those experiences have been incorporated into the Velisca story in Grave Deeds and Dead Plots. So can you can you share with us a couple of stories from the book? Oh, absolutely. So one of my favorite stories is the story of Celia Rose. Now, Celia Rose lived in Pleasant Valley, Ohio in 1896. And with a name like Celia Rose, living in a place called Pleasant Valley, you get this mental image of a young lady with, with perhaps long blonde curls whose greatest joy in life is to sit and work on her embroidery. You would be wrong. <laughs> Celia Rose was a dumpy, overweight farm girl. She was in her early 20s when she got a life-threatening crush on the boy next door, a farm kid named Guy Barry. He was 17. And she was absolutely convinced that they were going to run off and get married. So she hung around the Barry farm, kind of making a nuisance of herself. And uh, Guy's father was not really happy about this. So he went to Celia's father and said, look, you, you've got to rein your daughter in. She's kind of bugging me and bugging my son. And uh, so Celia got a talking to, and she was not happy about this. She was not happy about being told that she couldn't moon around the object of her, of her affections. 
So she decided to take matters into her own hands and she poisoned her entire family. Her her family liked to have, um, liked to have uh, cottage cheese for breakfast. So she took the the, uh, pepper box, the black pepper box that they used to put black pepper on their cottage cheese and she filled it with arsenic. And uh, she didn't have any, of course, so she didn't get sick, but her father and brother, one of them died that day, the other was dead within the week, and her mother was getting better and uh, realized she, she confronted Celie with what she had done, and Celie said, oh, okay, you know what, if we move away from here, like my mother suggests, I won't be around Guy anymore. So she fixed her mother a bowl of bread and milk for breakfast the next day, and topped it off with another dose of rough on rats. Oh my god. Wow. killed Killed off her mother, too. She was arrested, of course. Um, she had put the rest of the um, cottage cheese out in the yard, and the chickens ate it, and the chickens all died. So, yeah, the neighbors were all like, hmm, let's see. Celia's entire family is dead, along with all her chickens. But Celia's fine. I wonder what's going on. Hey. So, yeah, she was she was arrested and tried for the murder of her father first. And she was found guilty. Or, or she was found, rather, not guilty by reason of insanity. She was committed to an insane asylum where she lived the rest of her life. She was not let out after that. And the house where she grew up still stands in Ohio. And the lore is that on moonlit nights, particularly during the harvest season for some reason, you can see Celia Rose's ghost standing at the window, perhaps hoping for another glimpse of Guy plowing the fields with his shirt off. (laughs) With a name like Guy, (laughs) I can just get you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that story. That is a great story. (laughs) There's another story in the book called Jack Austin's Poetic Justice. There was um, the haunting uh, outside the Merchants Exchange building in Philadelphia is um, a very strange one. There is a, a very tall, properly dressed very rich looking ghost that shows up and um, he'll, he'll show up for just a few moments and he'll look around because he'll you'll also hear when you see this ghost you'll also hear horses hoofs coming at a quick clip towards the ghost and the ghost will look around and vanish now the reason this happened is because there was a, a wealthy businessman named Harold Thorne who lived in Philadelphia in the 1830s. Nobody really liked this guy. He was a jerk and he was a bully. He made his money kind of unscrupulously. So he he was not a very well-liked character, but he was rich, so people put up with him. He would go to the Merchants Exchange, of course, to conduct his business affairs. There was also someone who hung around the Merchants Exchange building, a blind beggar named Jack Austin. Now, Austin was a very compassionate guy. People liked him. People tried to find odd jobs that he could do, even though he was blind. And Jack 
loved horses. He would pet them when he had a few moments. And if he had a spare couple of pennies, he would buy apples to give to his equine friends. So he, people liked Jack. He was a, he was a decent stand-up guy. So it happened that um, in 1834, Harold Thorne was at the exchange building. And his horse was particularly fond of Jack. Jack was one of the few people that showed this horse kindness. I mean, belonging to an, uh, a master named like, like Harold Thorne can't have been a very good life for this horse. But Jack loved it and petted its nose and fed, its, fed it apples. So one day in 1834, Harold Thorne was at the building and his business did not go well. He lost, lost hundreds and hundreds of dollars during this particular day at the stock exchange. So he was in a really ill temper when he came out. Um, he kind of bumped into Jack Austin and Jack, he's blind. I mean, he can't see to move out of the way and he's trying to scramble out of the way and he stepped on Harold Thorne's shoes. And that sent Thorne over the edge. He started beating Jack with his cane and the, the cane handle flashed up and down as Thorne just beat the crap out of Jack. And pretty soon its silver head was slicked with blood and Jack was lying motionless on the, on the sidewalk and he was dead. Thorne had beaten him to death. And the crowd, it happened so quickly that the crowd just didn't have any time to react. But suddenly, Harold Thorne's horse screamed, reared up, and brought its front hooves crashing down on Harold Thorne's head. Knocked him out flat, and he died several hours later. He never regained consciousness. So that is the situation that has led to this very strange little haunting outside the Merchants Exchange building in Philadelphia. Harold Thorne is still there. Jack Austin has gone to his reward apparently, but Thorne is still there and he's still living in terror of this horse that took revenge for his friend. You know, so you're, I like, you're an excellent storyteller. I'm just like hanging on every word. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I love telling these stories. I love writing them. I love telling them. Thank you. <laughs> and so when you're gathering the information, I mean, how do you decide what stories go in the book? Well, uh, it has to be interesting. It has to keep my attention. If it keeps my attention, I am pretty sure it will keep my readers' attention. And for these stories, I'm just on the hunt for any story that starts in true crime and ends in a haunting. So I've been collecting them. So there are many more books in the series to come. One is going to be completely on gangsters, which I'm very happy about. Oh, oh. Said the secret words. <laughs> oh yeah, gangsters. yeah. There's oh, be do you have stuff. any gangster haunting stories? Oh boy, uh, yeah. Let's see. There's um, there is uh, the in Las Vegas. There's um, Bugsy Siegel. Uh, he still haunts the Flamingo in Las Vegas. Um, Bugsy was part of the Chicago racket, of course. He he's, did some business in Miami 
and he was into horse racing. He was in charge of the betting and he was in charge of putting together the telegraph lines that went from the bookies in Las Vegas to the tracks in Miami. So the, the bookies would be doing their business in Vegas and the the tracks, I mean, they, they would get the information on which horse won and which came in second and all that from the tracks in Miami. So Bugsy was in charge of this. It was a big responsibility. So he ended up very, very rich from all of this. And he stopped on his on his way to Los Angeles. He also had a thing for the movies. He had a lot of movie star friends and whatnot. And on his way to Los Angeles, to put this all in, into place, he stopped at a little town called Las Vegas and liked what he saw and decided to settle down. This was about the point in time, the early 1930s, when the, um, the Hoover Dam was being built. So you have hundreds upon hundreds of workmen working on the dam and they go into this tiny little town of Las Vegas for recreation, for drinking and gambling and women. So Las Vegas was just starting to pick up steam then. So Bugsy Siegel was like, oh man, this is great. Um, and and he, he, he wants in. So he buys this casino, decides to name it the Flamingo because his girlfriend was known as the Flamingo because, her, because of her long, lovely legs. So he named it the Flamingo in her honor. And um, he poured millions of dollars into getting this casino ready to be opened. And he borrowed money from the mob too. So one million turned into two million and then three and then five until the mob was into this casino for like $6 million. And they're like, um, okay, we, Bugsy, we, we think you're skimming a little bit. <laughs> because on the day that it was supposed to open in, in early January, uh, I'm sorry, late December, uh, it wasn't even done. So Bugsy's like, I don't care, we're going to open it anyway. So he invites all his movie star friends and everything. And that evening was one of the very few times in Las Vegas that it actually rained. It poured cats and dogs. Nobody really showed up to the, the, the this grand opening of this huge, wonderful casino. And the casino actually lost half a million dollars that first night. Wow. So, yeah, it was a... It was an immense failure, and he, he closed it for the next three months, tried to get his feet underneath him, but it just didn't happen. So the mob was like, you know what? No. So um, Bugsy goes to his girlfriend's house in Beverly Hills, California, for a vacation, and he's sitting in her living room reading the newspaper, and someone, we don't know who, it was obviously someone connected with the mob, but somebody was outside of the girlfriend's picture windows, aiming a carbine into the window and got off four shots and they hit Bugsy, took him out. Um, one of them hit him in the back of the head and the pressure caused by the wound to the back of his head shot his eyeball out oh my gosh yeah they found his eyeball across the room yeah yeah 
gruesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that house in Beverly Hills is still haunted by the ghost of Bugsy Siegel. Uh, he'll he'll be walking around the living room and he'll, he'll look towards the bay windows real quick and then he'll scurry out of the room. And I guess he thinks he'll save himself from the, the hitman that way. And the, he, the Flamingo uh, Casino is no longer standing, but at the site where it was, Bugsy Siegel still haunts that area. There is a statue to him, kind of a, um, not, not really a gravestone, but a monument sort of thing to him. And it has his name and a, a picture of him in bronze. And there are um, begonias planted at the base of it. Now, begonias are tender flowers. They are very suited to an environment Las, like Las Vegas, like the strip in Las Vegas, where you have people dedicated to watering all this greenery and keeping it alive. And Las Vegas is a desert, it's nice and warm, perfect situation for begonias. But the groundskeepers have to keep replacing the begonias because every several weeks there will be a cold snap that will take the begonias out just in that area, just around Bugsy's Monument. It'll be a, there, wow. There'll be a little bit of a cold snap and those begonias are just done for. They, they get killed off by frost because this cold area that just appears. Sylvia, do you know if Bugsy liked begonias? I don't know. <laughs> I do know Maybe that he's he freezing them because he doesn't like them. <laughs> I, I do know that from my research that he really, really loved the color mint green. His bathroom in his, his suite in the Flamingo was done up in mint green, including the bathroom. All the, the fixtures, the toilet and the tub and everything were in this really gross, disgusting, melt-away mint green. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sylvia, have, uh, now have you been on investigations, is that correct? I have, yes. I've been a paranormal investigator for over 10 years. So can you tell us about some of the experiences you've had on investigating? I've had, I've gone on several and I've had some wild experiences. Awesome. Oh man, you'll have to tell me some stories later on. <laughs> uh, I am very lucky to live just a short drive away from the Peoria State Hospital, which is an abandoned mental asylum in Illinois. And you say haunted mental asylum and your mind goes all American horror story on you. <laughs> <laughs> and you assume that there was pain and fear and abuse. And it is my privilege and my joy to tell people that was not the case at the Peoria State Hospital. This was a place where the patients were treated like family members. They were cared for. It was a place of refuge from the outside world that could be so noisy and so terrifying. So I have been to the Peoria State Hospital countless times. And since I've been there so many times, I have kind of made friends with a couple of the spirits there, particularly the spirit of a young man named Chris, who died in 1906 from tuberculosis. He was only in his early 20s. He was about 22 years old. And he has taken a shine to me and he likes to hold my hand when I go into the basement of the Pollock Hospital, which is the tuberculosis ward. And um, he told me once through 
through an interpreter, through a psychic medium. I, I don't see dead people. I don't hear them, unfortunately. But I was there several times with a psychic medium. And Chris told us that he... Now, the, uh, the staff at the asylum wanted to take care of their patients not only physically, but mental, mentally and emotionally too. So the, the asylum would have movies every Friday night and dances every Saturday night and ball games in the summer after church on Sunday afternoons. So Chris told us he could hear the music on Saturday nights coming from the other cottages, but he said we couldn't go and dance because we were in quarantine. I mean, he, he said, I miss dancing so much and I miss the music so much. So the next time I went down there, I recorded a ragtime song. It was 1906. I figured he'd be familiar with ragtime. I recorded a, a ragtime song on my phone and I played it for him. And the medium was there again. And she said, he's, he's doing something doing something strange with his hands on his knees and he's moving him back and forth i said oh he's doing the charleston that's he's great dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when the song was over he said no one's ever done that for me before so yeah so the next time i was there i i taught myself a ragtime dance and i brought the music down and and i we danced together and uh there's there's a, a place in the song it's called the castle dance there's a place in the dance where the couple spins and the woman spins backwards and because i'm a dork and don't know what i'm doing i spun forwards and the medium called from across the room she goes he says you're trying to lead <laughs> I said, oh cats oh yes i am i'm so sorry <laughs> Can you uh, describe to me what it, when you say he's holding your hand? What does that feel like? It feels like heat. It feels like the very first time it happened, I didn't know exactly what was going on. But the first time it happened, I was holding my voice recorder in my left in my right hand, and my left hand was kind of down at my side, and I I realized that the fingers of my left hand were getting warm for no reason at all that I could tell. I mean, we were in a basement and it was the end of April, so it was really chilly. There was no reason for my fingers to be warm. And um, we had a, a different psychic medium with, in our group that time. And I said, come over here by me. There's something weird going on. I want you to tell me what's going on. And um, the, the warmth gradually increased. It never reached my palm. It was just on my, the ends of my fingers. It gradually increased so much so that it felt like I was holding my fingers to the gently glowing coals of a campfire. It was that noticeable wow. and that distinct. So I, I said, you know, what's going on? I described what was happening. And the medium said, um, yeah, someone's holding your hand. So that has been Chris's MO ever since then. I'll hold my hand out and he'll he'll hold my hand and this most recent time when I was with the different psychic medium I felt I told her I said I felt heat on both the front uh, the, both the top and bottom of my hand I was holding on my hand palm up I'm, I guess it was palm down and I said I can feel heat 
on my palm and the top of my hand. And she said, well, yeah, that's because he's holding your hand in both of his. I said, okay, that's, that's great. And then she, she kind of laughed and she said, he said, why wouldn't I want to hold your hand? You're a beautiful woman. So I said, oh, (laughs) he is definitely definitely a flirt. Oh my gosh. So the first time I was down with a psychic medium where I could actually contact, I could actually talk to Chris, we were there with a group of other investigators. So I was sitting down in a chair. Um, Diane, the medium, was sitting in a chair to my right and the chair to my left was empty and I invited Chris to sit down on the chair to my left. So he apparently did, and we were having this conversation, and um, I've, I was told that he, I remind him of his sister. So he loves me very much because I remind him of a family member. And another, another investigator, another female investigator came into that area of the basement and she went to sit down in the chair next to me and I said oh no 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 there's somebody sitting there already and she gave me this weird look and and got up and Diane started busting a gut laughing and she goes he said you didn't have to tell her that (laughs) but that was nice of you oh yeah so you know, it, it's it refreshing to hear a story where it's so positive when, you know, a lot of these stories we hear are just, they're terrifying. I know, but you know what? These are people, these are, these are people just like us. They just happen to live in an earlier time period. And that's yeah. what weirds me out when I hear stories about, oh, my, my grandfather came, came back and, and stood at the, at the foot of my bed and or sat with me while I was falling asleep or whatever. These are people that loved you in life. Why wouldn't they love you after death? True. So, yeah. And most of the spirits I encounter, I, I try to remind myself of that. And I've been doing this for so long that I, I've gotten used to just reminding myself, these were people just like me. They had the same likes and dislikes. Uh, I mean, not in the details, but, you know, they, maybe somebody liked a fresh apple instead of a chocolate chip cookie. Maybe they preferred A1 on their hamburger instead of ketchup and mustard. It doesn't matter, but they were people just like you and me. So true. So true. So Sylvia, if somebody was interested in getting a copy of the book, um, Grave Deeds and Dead Plots, where would they get it? Well, I have a website set up called sylviaschultz.wordpress.com. And the last name is spelled S-H-U-L-T-S. So if someone were to go to sylviaschultz.wordpress.com, they would find at the top of the page a link called Paranormal Nonfiction. And that page will bring you to the Amazon links for my books. I also encourage people to go to a lovely little website called bookshop.org. And when you order a book on bookshop.org, a part, a part of your price of the book goes into a fund that helps out independent bookstores. 
Oh, I like so it. I'm always, yeah, I'm always eager. I mean, Amazon doesn't need any help. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Amazon's big enough as it is. But if you order a copy of Grave Deeds and Dead Plots or Days of the Dead or any of my other books from bookshop.org, then you're not only helping out an independent author, you're also helping out independent bookstores, which I think is very nice. Agreed, agreed. Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all those stories I think classify as crazy Crazy shit. Crazy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Well, I was absolutely delighted to be invited on. I have had such a great time talking to you. Thank you so much. After eight books, that's nuts. Eight books. But you know what's cool is, you know, we talked about their true crime that results in a haunting. So it's like that energy we talk about, that residual energy that's always seems to be left behind after a traumatic, you know, incident. I don't like the, the whole grudge thing, right? Did you ever see The Grudge? I know. If you know, you know I don't watch movies. Okay, what's the grudge? Oh, my God. Okay. So The Grudge is a movie about where there's a terrible crime that happens. It's it's a Japanese curse. So a terrible crime happens like a murder happens. And that place is now cursed. And oh. anybody who goes into that house has the possibility of taking that spirit with them because that spirit needs revenge. It's called The Grudge. It's kind of like that. That energy is there. That residual yeah. energy from whatever horrific horrific event happened. That's true. So I just, just thought, now that you said that horrific event, just real quickly, can you ever remember there being a ghost story where there was a happy event that was always repeated, like a wedding or birthday party that was so cool that the celebration lasts into eternity? Not unless everybody died at the birthday party. I mean, I know how, huh? how that would have to go down, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. How do we can't have a nice haunting, man. Like, yeah, we don't have, yeah, have there, to die. There are not nice hauntings, but yeah, Sylvia was saying that she's got more books coming. She's still collecting stories. She even did. Um, she even was featured on Sci-Fi's um, Ghost Hunters. Which I watch both of those, and those are both cool. So, sci fi and ghost hunters, if you're listening, Kelly again, and I happy yeah. to get paid for talking about you at any time. We do not mind, it is something we are happy to help yeah. in the spreading of your platform, right? Right, and in, in spreading yours, spreading ours. That's right. Anyway, if you're interested in learning more about Sylvia's books, all of her books are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. She also has a podcast. Just one more plug for her. She has a podcast, a paranormal podcast called Lights Out. That that sounds cool, too. You know, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to listen to. I have so many podcasts of former guests that I need to listen to. It's scary. Yep. So there's a lot to listen to. There's a lot to read. And that is it for our guest. What are we doing for random bullshit, my friend? Random bullshit. Random bullshit. I don't, we don't really talk about politics. We try to avoid it, but I have to talk about this guy, this Santos dude from New York. 
by the time this airs, hopefully this is going to be old news. Right, but it probably won't. But I think the, the point I'm trying to make now is when did it become <clears throat> so normalized that lying is just acceptable? Oh my God, James, since the beginning of politics. Politicians have been lying forever. No, just, just not politics. I think even down, trickling down all the way through society. I mean, well, when we were little kids. A lot of things that we learned in our history, we are now coming to find out our lies. No, that is true. So forever, my friend, you've been lied to pretty much all your life. I don't lie, though. I didn't say you lied. I said you've been lied to. No, that is true. I have been lied to quite a bit. You've been lied to pretty much since you were a little kid. And some of the things that you were lied to, unfortunately, your parents told you because they people say that's trauma. So if somebody told you that you weren't good enough or you weren't this or you weren't that, you were being lied to. So, James, pretty much all your life, my friend. People have always lied since the beginning of time. Probably even lied about when time began. Yeah. That took like a downturn quickly. <laughs> I'm the realist. Got no shit, man. Hey, I call him as I see him. You've been, you know, you've been lied to, my friend. You've been bamboozled. You've been hoodie winked. <laughs> well, now I'm traumatized by the fact I've been lied to all this time. You've been how, being lied how, to. How old, how old were you? How was it? How many years old were you when you found out that you've been lied to? 56. Yep. Now. So, yep, hey. Now. It's okay. It's all right, though. You know. Oh. Yeah, sorry to burst that bubble. But, yeah, to answer your question, forever. All right. So, next podcast notice, <laughs> listeners, I would be much more jaded now. Hey, I'm not jaded. I'm just saying forever. You know, when she, well, when I'm, she... I'm going to be jaded, not you. Oh, well, I'm being traumatized and jaded now. Fuck you, people. Fuck everybody. Yeah. But there's no need. That's that. That's just. Uh, yeah. There's no need for all. That's like uh, exhausting. Uh, yeah, that is. That's too. That's, that's hard. That's like exhausting. So now I'm yeah. just tired. I'm just tired yeah. from. Yeah. I'm tired from watching you make the ugly. Ugly. I know that ugly face. face. Yeah, my that's face tired. fucking exhausting. Uh. So while James is recuperating, I will tell y'all. You can go to any of our social media pages: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and even YouTube, and check us out. Um, we have more guests coming for next week. James, I say we wrap it up, dude. You're not doing well. Well, it was just, I was doing well until I found out I was being lied to. <laughs> well, I think you might need to go figure out a way to cope. God, man. <laughs> Jesus, people. See, we could get, we could get hardcore here, people. It's not all fluff. Uh, well, it's on you, buddy. All right, so we just wrap it up there. Yeah, wrap it up. Until next time, people, keep your minds open.